Hey, happy Friday. This week we'll talk about beaming 5G from space to Earth using satellites. We'll talk about earnings from Microsoft and Google and just how differently these companies are approaching things like AI and more. Welcome to the Friday Chillout. This podcast is 100% funded by Nebula subscribers who also get the show a day early and with an optional video version as well. If you'd like to support the show and get early access, go to nebula.tv slash chillout. Hello and welcome to the Friday Chillout. It is midday on the dot. My name's Tristan Rayner, and I'm joined as always by the man from Tech Altar and Friday Checkout. Martin, hello. How are you doing? Guten Tag. I'm doing well. How are you? <laughs> I'm all right. I'm all right. Uh, I've been sneezing more than usual, but that's allergies for you. <laughs> yeah, it's the season, the season for all of us blessed with allergies. <laughs> Yep, absolutely. Uh, okay, no time for chit-chat, Martin. No, we have nothing. Some... <laughs> Straight to the tech news. <laughs> we have some uh, big conversations, really. There's a lot going on, and uh, we'll talk about Microsoft and Alphabet uh, a bit later in the show. Uh, I'm really, really looking forward to that. But we have to talk 5G for a second, because, um, Martin, in the checkout, we looked at some horrible data out of Ookla uh, this week that showed speeds from 2021 5G times uh, were faster than 2022 5G speeds. So even though networks are being built out, and despite all the promises of 5G, it seems like the answer to these problems is not like networks getting better, but it's actually 5.5G. Big sigh. (laughs) 5.5G is going to save us all. That's the the promised one we've been waiting for. Thank God. I I, I was actually betting on 5.4G, but 5.5 is... Missed it by one decimal. <laughs> um, but no, we talk we we talk about that in the checkout, and and uh, but one thing we didn't talk about, which I want to bring up with you how to start, is a possible answer from space. Um, so SpaceX put up a low Earth orbit satellite from a company who's uh, based out of Barcelona, that's now trying to boost five G coverage by uh, from space, like with with satellites in space. So um, I want you to try to pronounce this company name. Or how company- would you how would you pronounce it? Okay, I'll say the easy things first, which is the company is based in Barcelona. <laughs> and it is called Satelliot. 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 But it has to be from satellite and IoT, right? So it's satellite <laughs> Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the spelling, we'll put the spelling on, on the visuals uh, so you can have a go at yourself. But yeah, you're right. Um, so Tailiot? <laughs> I don't know. It's just a weird name. Not made maybe for the, pronouncing. Maybe there's a Spanish pronunciation that makes it all very easy. That that, I, that would make sense. Yeah, I do not grasp. But look, it sounds it sounds funny, but it also sounds useful. So trying to boost five G five G coverage from space by talking with ground based cell towers, filling gaps in data networks. It's sort of linked to IoT between ground and orbital relays. And the idea that they've got really is that like you could just use your phone your handset and you'll seamlessly switch between terrestrial towers and non-terrestrial towers aka not, space not quite because it's uh it's not 5g for cellular phones it is right. uh it specifically uses so so there's 250 nano satellites up there somewhere at some point there's going to be the first one just went up yeah yeah uh, those are going to talk to each other obviously but and then they're going to like beam uh, uh 5g narrowband iot uh up and down uh, to to Earth, so it's specifically for devices that use narrowband IoT, which is not typically phones. It is like weather sensors and whatever random IoT devices you can think of. Yeah, yeah. So I th- I was kind of going to get to it that they're trying to pitch to manufacturers that that like this is what your phone should include. So right now it doesn't, but like your handset should yeah. in future. So you don't have to change SIMs or eSIMs or or you know have an antenna on your phone. It just it just works. Um, uh. 
So, yeah, it's early days. Like you said, they've got one satellite. They want 250. Uh, they're promising AWS on the back end. And Look, I don't know. Will, they, will 5G be fixed by space of all the things? Well, the, the concept of like having internet roaming while you... So, so what they're saying is basically they're doing a test with Telefonica, the Spanish mm-hmm. mobile operator. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, that you basically have a random, like a regular connection to Telefonica using narrowband IoT when you are in range. And if a device goes out of range of the terrestrial connection, it'll automatically hand over and start roaming uh, with the the satellite internet narrowband IoT, uh, which is actually kind of cool. Like uh, you, you just don't lose connection when you're not near a cell tower. I think that makes sense. And yeah. just, just a fun fact. Maya specifically worked in Telefonica on narrowband IoT. So... <laughs> I wish I wish she was here today to actually tell us something smarter than we are already saying. I always wish for someone smarter than me to be on this podcast. <laughs> Just um, generally agree. I mean, yeah, for, yeah. For, for both you and me. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, so just on that for a second. So I guess this is years away still. Like you know, you've got to get these satellites in. And I like I like that the coverage of this was all like SpaceX doing this because you kind yeah. of think, oh, it's adding five G to Starlink or something. But yeah. no, that's simply not the case. Um, but I, but, I found that part interesting as well. So SpaceX, uh, I, I've never looked at the numbers. Uh, so it, I found that SpaceX, did, basically they, they, do, they do a ride share. So they just take a bunch of cargo up to space, obviously. And then uh, they pointed out that the, the the starting price for a cargo on this ship was $275,000. Or uh, the the maximum was $1 million, uh, Which is actually like surprisingly affordable like you know to get like something up into space this is low low orbit so it's not super super high up i suppose yep. I, I don't know i don't know much about space travel but the fact that you can get something get a satellite up for like two hundred seventy five thousand, and um that's that's a level of cost that companies expend on many other things so that's actually kind of cool yeah i mean look i don't i don't blame you for not knowing the space costs like you, you can't go to google flights and just be like okay but what about via space or like Rome to Rio, but or like Rome to Moon. Like you know, I, yeah. I get why you don't know the costs, but no, no, yet. I mean, that has been the thing about SpaceX, massively reducing uh, the cost of getting things to space, and that's why Virgin Galactic was trying to. Was it is it Virgin Galactic or is which one was the one with that basically failed the other week, which was the trying to send it like get an airliner to fly high enough and then sort of rocket a satellite into space because that sounds quite cheap, right? Then yeah. Anyway, this is why. Uh, Anyway, cheap getting stuff into space for cheap is a whole new uh, ball game, and it's really exciting. Um, yeah, and there's still a lot to get to there. So, uh, okay, Martin, moving on. Um, it is time to talk Microsoft versus Google because the battle is playing out all over the place, um, and very clearly playing out just this week in some um, not just like the numbers from earnings, although we'll talk about that, but just in terms of what the CEOs are saying about AI. And some of those just the strange revelations out there. So, um, yeah, this feels different to a couple of weeks ago that we were talking about AI because um, sort of at the moment, Microsoft keeps making all the money despite all kinds of headwinds and Google is definitely struggling. And that's before we talk about AI. So, Martin, on the face of it, uh, when we looked at earnings this week, Microsoft reported some bad news year on year, like Windows revenue was down 28%, devices revenue was down 30%, gaming revenue was down. But that's all completely fine because revenue in Office Cloud server products were all massively up. Overall, I think the cloud was up more than 20% as it has been for a while. Um, 
So yeah, the, you, the 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 part where the devices and the games are down was was expected, whereas yeah. the cloud and the other stuff being up as much as it was was not expected, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, totally. So we, I think the idea that we're buying less devices is known for now. Yeah. The AI part of things is including Bing is driving enthusiasm that Microsoft is writing, but it's still mostly a computing company, and that's 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 where it's uh, that that's where its money is being made and hand over fist. While Intel, for example posted a massive loss um, as Wintel sort of separates and, and Microsoft keeps doing better. Yeah, so talking about Wintel separating, uh, I actually found an interesting article that suggests that Microsoft wants their businesses to, to well, the clients, to buy fewer PCs. Uh, so the article okay. <laughs> basically it goes that uh, Microsoft, is pu- Microsoft is pushing cloud PC specifically for frontline uh, workers. These are uh, basically anybody who doesn't sit in an office so imagine somebody working in retail, for example, or driving a tractor or whatever, that they might, they might still need uh, a Windows PC to get some work done. Um, and Microsoft is uh, arguing that if you have a frontline license, you'll actually get three uh, cloud PC accounts, I suppose, that go along with one frontline license. So you can use one PC. And uh, I guess the idea is that a shift lasts eight hours and you can, have, you can have maybe three of those a day. And so you you can hand the PC from one person to the next to the next, and each one will have their own cloud PC connection and they'll not all need three separate PCs. So as they switch shifts, I suppose, uh, one will be handing over to the next and this is what Microsoft is pushing, which is not going to make PC makers happy, but it is going to make PC, uh, Microsoft a lot of money. So... <laughs> Yeah, that's okay. That sounds like it might upset the classic partners of Microsoft, Intel's, yeah. your AMDs, your Dells. And- I guess Intel's and AMDs, not necessarily, because they're going to be running the chips in the data centers just like Microsoft. But but definitely the Dells. Well, I guess Dell also runs servers, but like the Asus's and the whoever doesn't have a server business, I suppose. Right. Right. Yeah. No. Bad for consumer tech. Yeah. Razor or someone. I don't know. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Um, okay, so yeah, okay, that sounds pretty wild, and I guess um, so. If we, if we leave Microsoft there and we say, okay, it's still mostly a computing company, no matter how it manages to get its computing subscription, um, we jump across to Alphabet and Google, and things were a little bit more mixed. Um, again, the numbers are sort of interesting in that um, its cloud unit ret- uh, turned a profit for the first time, uh, which is great. Yeah, I'll just try and get through this quickly. Just to search whether the storm okay. YouTube revenue was down a little bit. Um, I guess the overall news, that thanks to cloud revenue, overall revenue was up a little bit, 3%. But I mean, Google once was a growth stock. It jumped 24% in Q1 2022 compared to the previous year. It was up 30% in 2020. I know some of the, that, that the pan- pandemic is making those numbers a little bit crazy and a, bit, a little bit weird, but like the company also fired 12,000 people and is going to spend $70 billion on stock buybacks. So I don't know. The- yeah, things are not looking pretty. And I guess it kind of gets down to, like, if you if you had to take a, an example of where Microsoft and Google seem to be really at different points is is in AI. And I, I want to dig into it a little bit because Google basically said in its earnings, so like in its uh, conference calls and everything with, with investors, that um, Google wants you to trust it and trust its track record as the world's leading search engine and sort of just said, ah, you know, AI is another ebb and flow. We've seen all this stuff before. It's an evolving world. Whereas Microsoft was like, this is a big thing. And Satya Nadella said, it's a generational shift in the largest software category, which is search. 
Um, whereas Google's Sundar Pichai said, we've gone through many, many shifts in search. And as we evolve search, I think we've always had a strong grounded approach in terms of how we evolve ads as well. I mean, it's pretty different. Both, obviously, both CEOs are very different people, but the, it plays into the organizations that seem to be moving at very different paces. And it's going to be fascinating to see how that actually sees revenues and profits emerge from AI. Um, uh, okay, so comment on that, and then I would get, want to get into something really fun with you. Yeah, I mean, I think it's clear that Google has to has to tell the market that everything is fine. They're still the top dog. They're going to continue to uh-huh. be the top dog. And Microsoft has to tell their investors that actually everything is turning on its head. And that means opportunity for all. And the old regime is dead. Long live the new regime. And we are actually the new regime. So uh, they're, they're very much incentivized to say what they're saying. Yeah, okay. But <laughs> one more thing, which is that um, so the information had some really good reporting uh, just in the last couple of days on uh, Sundar, who's just turned fifty apparently. Um, and uh, one of the one of the details was that Google embarked on a project called the Great Search Shift, uh, with hundreds of employees tasked to this. Uh, you know, Google employees, some of the smartest people around, and motivated and everything. And the story is that you know Google search engine seemed like it hasn't really changed in about two decades, so it was due for an upgrade. The threat of TikTok was sort of forced Google to be like, okay, we're going to do this. This is obviously in the, just the last couple of years. Um, again, the title was The Great Search Shift. In the end, they basically decided to make minimal changes, surrounding the corners on some images and videos, um, letting users decide to sort results by gender when shopping for apparel. Like That's the... Yeah. That's the innovator's dilemma, right? Like you have the, the, <laughs> the golden egg laying goose in front of you and you can't kill it. Like you, this, you can't change it. This is working. If you touch it, people will freak, freak the hell out. You'll ruin your existing business and you can't massively adopt what you're doing. And, and with that, it's really difficult to move out of it. Like you have to be quite brutal as a CEO to, to force your company to do stuff that is really unpopular and really risky and potentially gets you fired and and then if you do you might have a chance at <laughs> surviving the next wave yeah yeah I, I i don't think google's really like the the disruption that it may may need to, to like the, the the threat of disruption causing it to tear up everything and go again obviously just isn't there yet but it's really funny to me i don't know this like the other example that i was seeing was um when google called something project manhattan this is in 2016 and all they did, like Project Manhattan, the, the, one of the great projects of all time, very serious. And the end result from that on its search results was eliminating the right-hand rail ads and putting a fourth ad on top of the page. Like, I, like it's <laughs> the I end of the world. We're gonna we're, we're gonna <laughs> blow up some city somewhere in Asia. <laughs> I don't know. It, it's, the, I I do feel like Google's in the crosshairs as and like everyone's taking pot shots and it's really easy to just be like wow Google you know like anyone could run this company better but sometimes this just tweaking the knobs a little bit is all you need to do for to just keep going and then you wait for the next change to come and see yeah, if you can capitalize be, on that. To be clear, like the company can change if it needs to. Like I think the way YouTube handled the rise of TikTok mm-hmm. is okay. Like I think mm-hmm. the whole strategy on Shorts seems to be paying off and they're really uh, digging into it and it's working and they reacted quickly and aggressively and everything. So they, they can they can do this if they if they really want to. Is it? But it feels like search is just too too sacred of a product to to change or to challenge. Yeah. Yeah. I I more or less agree and I I know if I was in charge I would be terrified. 
<laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, anything you do has the potential to just like half your revenue. Yeah. Yeah. And that is a hundred dollars. Goodbye. You're fine. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, no further discussions. It doesn't matter if you're like, like you just look at, look at what, uh, the Inter guy, what is it called? Pat Gelsinger is doing, right? He, he's doing this, like he said, there's this massive danger. There's this massive opportunity. We need to do this huge leap, completely reorganize. And the company is getting trashed. Like, right. Their stock is down. The, the, the business is down. Maybe five or 10 years from now, there will be a profit somewhere at the end. Will yeah, Pat I, be around until then? Nobody knows. <laughs> I wish I wish we were recording on Saturday or Sunday. I mean, I don't really want to record on the weekend, but uh, the <laughs> Intel numbers are so interesting. It will take quite a bit of time to dig into them, and I need to read like three or four of these very good newsletters uh, that yeah. we subscribe to. Um, give, give our readers your recommendations for newsletters. What What are you reading? Yes, yeah, so newsletters, Martin. Um, okay, I get a few. Um, I read Ben Evans. Uh, I read Stratechery. Um, I get a few semiconductor Stratetri? ones. Stratechery? It has to be stratechery, no? Because it's tech. I don't but say okay. these things out I like, loud, so I don't I like know. I like Ben Evans. Yeah, he's good. He's good. Yeah, very a very uh, brutal take on things a lot of the time from Ben Evans. Yeah. Very, very realistic. Um, I Super pay smart for, guy. Yeah, totally. Uh, I pay for a, an Australian-focused tech newsletter called The Sizzle, which is good. Um, well worth Exotic. paying for if you're an Australian and you want an Australian view of things or the news from Australia. Um, semiconductor stuff. Did I mention already? Semi-analysis. Um, I also pay for another one from Fabricated Knowledge, which um, is expensive, but I think people take stock recommendations from it. So it's 300 a year, which is a lot. Um, but if you make more than $300 a year in profits, then I guess it's for free. Yeah, I find it a little bit hard to... to like I've never really gambled on I, I'd call it gambling because I don't know what's going on. You know, I'm yeah, trusting, no. I trusting. Mean, I think that. buying individual stock is basically gambling. Right. Which is fine. If that's if you yeah, want to sure. assume that risk. However, this is not investing advice. Yeah, do, <laughs> do, not, do not take her advice. Uh, but yeah, it's always interesting to read. Um, and what else? I, I guess a bunch of, I mean, I used to write one, so I still get a bunch of the, sort of the tech news of the day newsletters. Um, yeah, but, for our, for our listeners and viewers, you used to write the Android Authority newsletter. Did you write anything else or just this one? Uh, I wrote the weekly as well for Android Authority, and I've dabbled in a bunch over the years. But um, yeah, those were the main ones where, where I'd be like actively writing and and um, filtering links and trying to find people the best stuff of the, on the web that day. So yeah, um, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. it's nice not to have a daily deadline anymore. Um, but Only it was a, a weekly fun one. Job. Yeah, that's right. Um, okay, Martin, we need to get to the mailbag. Um, and people want to ask smartphone questions. Um, so maybe try and keep each answer short because otherwise you run into the next question on the same sort of topic. (laughs) Um, but okay. So someone asks, how do you see handheld devices developing in the next three to five years? And let's exclude foldables because, um, we'll talk about that in a second. So handheld devices... I mean, are we? T- this could. This isn't necessarily just smartphones. This could be the gaming PCs that we're seeing, like with the likes of the Asus ROG Ally and um, whatever coming out. But um, yeah, what's what do you think? I mean, I, I think clearly manufacturers and Microsoft and everyone is trying to push this handheld gaming thing. Uh, the question is if anyone can compete long term uh, sustainably against uh, the Steam Deck, because obviously the Steam Deck is a monetized just like Nintendo Switch and all the other consoles is monetized through the sale of games 
nobody else has this unless Microsoft makes a game console on their own. So I have a little bit of a hard time uh, imagining that long-term any of them would be sustainably profitable and could compete against the Steam Deck. But I think the next three or four years will have a lot of attempts at this, at least. You can see dedicated chips. Um, you can see special Windows 11 uh, software. Uh, you probably even see games that are optimized for this kind of form factor to make sure that, you know, like, you already have these, like, eSports titles, right, the Overwatches or the whatever of the world that run on basically anything, but I think you'll see a lot more stuff that is, like, one level above mobile gaming uh, in terms of, like, complexity and graphics and everything, but one level below, like, desktop, high-end, whatever, uh -huh. and a lot of that is going to be targeting uh, consciously this form factor. So that is, I think this, this is like going to be one interesting thing to look at over the next few years. In terms of phones, we talked about this a lot, but just everything getting more premium and everything else dying. And uh, <laughs> okay, so that's, uh, that's my that's my guess. When will a device like the Steam Deck get an LTE connection and apps to run, and you can answer phone calls by holding it up to your face? Oh. Oh, that would be, and maybe a camera on the back. Maybe, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you might want to snap photos when you're out. Yeah, mm, that's, that's a question, yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, so you didn't touch on this part of it, but does China, do China-made do China phones still have a future outside of China? Um, interesting question, just that the, where we see numbers that just keep pointing to Apple and Samsung dominating um, in a lot of spaces. Obviously not in the sort of uh, lower ends yet, but um, certainly in the premium segments. And, uh, I mean, did mention premium, but like, yeah. Yeah, I think uh, it, this all depends on, on geopolitics. So whether uh, the EU and uh, the US and whatever else uh, region or country manages to figure out the relationship with China and become non-adversarial, if yes, then I think the trend of Chinese device makers becoming stronger will continue. If no, then I think we're just going to start turning away from them more and more. I think um, I'm just making a video on Motorola, uh, that is Lenovo, and they're in a special position because they're kind of not seen as a Chinese brand, even though technically are. Mm -hmm. um, more details in the full video, but, <laughs> okay. but uh, yeah, yeah. they're in a unique position in that they're basically left alone and like nobody seems to mind them uh, being around, but all the others are having a tough time and uh, I think it's going to be increasingly difficult for the next few years at least. Gotcha. Um, and uh, with all that in mind, um, as linking and jumping over to foldables, do you see like powerful handholds and foldables as a move or like a trend towards everything being pocketable, but you can still have a big screen when you want? So like maybe even these gaming devices we were just talking about before will not be such like a fixed form factor, but fold away uh, and tuck away. And, I never yeah. thought about that. A foldable gaming handheld how we're talking I don't know I mean it's a good question <laughs> it is a good question yeah <laughs> uh, I mean yeah uh, for, for, for the things that are portable it does make sense to some degree it's just how much more expense are you willing to take and like is folding yeah, it in complexity, half and, yeah. enough to, to really do anything yeah I, look I think I think um, the foldable like the handheld gaming thing the reason why you want that other than the phone, like well, rather than the phone, is A, you have the physical controls, and B, you probably have some more powerful 
performance. So you have a bigger chip, more yeah. which needs more cooling, more battery, whatever. I don't think the point is to make it as compact as a phone because if you if you did that, then you'd strip away all the benefits. So I, I don't I don't think it's gonna be like pocketable to the same degree as a phone is because that's just not the main focus. But I mean, if you could fold it, then don't somehow make it smaller and cool, maybe. But I I don't think it's gonna be a a, a, a big focus. Yeah, no worries. Interesting interesting thought as to where things might go. Ah, um, uh, I mean, we we have talked as well about Samsung maybe having a foldable tablet quite soon. Right. Um, which that is, to me makes a lot of sense. I completely agree. Like that would be very useful in most circumstances. I think. Yeah. So, um, okay. Uh, next question. Um, oh, the so we we talked about newsletters for a second, but now the hosts' top five podcasts other than this one. Um, Ooh. Yeah. Okay. So I actually, I'll have to look. Uh, yeah, you feel free. I'll I'll rattle mine off, which is okay, actually. I mean, most I, as we were saying before, I mostly read stuff and I consume so much stuff all the time. That mostly in my podcast feed, I want dumb sports stuff or yes. uh, something about the world, sort of like. So, a recommendation, if you haven't heard yet, is the the rest is history, which is a, just a fantastic history podcast, um, and they just dig into the strange. You know, it'll be the 1680s, and they'll be talking about something in Poland, and you'll be like, "Goodness, this is incredible." <laughs> um, and yeah, so I was saying sports stuff. I listen to Bill Simmons, a lot of the Ringer sports podcasts. Um, I also listen to um, uh, Around the NFL, Heat the Core, um, and I, list, I have a tip to try. None of, none um, of these things mean anything to me, I, but I'm okay. Moving on. <laughs> uh, I have a tip to try Against the Rules um, from Michael Lewis as well, who's just, yeah, that guy is just on it all the time and just super Is smart. that also sports? No. Michael Lewis, no, no, no. Michael Lewis is, um, you know him, he's the, he wrote The Big Short, um, Flash Boys. Oh, oh right, he's, right, he's right. He's the one embedded with uh, SBF um, and expecting that book on FTX to come out soon. Right. Um, yeah, super, super interesting podcast. Um, just on life and what's fair and not fair. It's it's great. Right. Strong recommendation. <laughs> nice. Uh, and I do listen to tech ones, but you go, you say a couple of yours, and then I'll I'll say if I listen to the same ones, or if you don't listen to tech, that's fine as well. Sure. Uh, so I'll start with the non-tech recommendations as well. Uh, I really like anything from the Seneca Podcast Network. Um, they are a China-focused uh, media group, I suppose. They're part of the China Project. I uh, This is one of the few things, media things that I subscribe to, and it's a paid thing, but you can listen to the podcast for free. They have the Taishin Seneca Business Brief and also just a Seneca podcast. They're the best China coverage that I have found on the whole internet, basically. Very, very fair, very balanced. Uh, I think they say that they recover China with neither fear nor favor, which I think is a is a very accurate description of it. They have like super high level people in to interview like former ambassadors, uh, really high end academics, business leaders, and so on. So you get like a very real picture of what's going on uh, with China. So if you're interested in that, anything with Seneca, then for something else, what could I say? I I really like. Um, Hard Fork by That's the New York Times. That's him. Casey Newton, uh, who was the guy who was formerly at The Verge, and one of the New York Times editors. They're super funny, super smart. They talk a lot about AI. They're really passionate about it. The, the guy from the New York Times is the guy who figured out how to break Bing and <laughs> get Sydney out and how to t- tell it. Uh, 
tell Bing how to get Bing to tell him that he should break up with his wife and so on. So that's the guy. <laughs> <laughs> they're really they're really funny. I also really like uh, Darknet Diaries. This was something that Alex from our Discord got me hooked on. Yeah. So uh, blame him for that. And yeah, I think oh, I really like The Verge cast, obviously. And I think um, Decoder by Nilay from The Verge is also fantastic. He does also yeah, interviews fantastic. with C- tech Super CEOs. Yep. Really, really, really good. So yeah. these would be my recommendations. Yeah, The Verge cast... Um, Either captivates me for an episode, or then completely loses me. Yeah, for an they're episode. a bit on, uh, yeah, a bit, bit on and off, but yeah. Okay, uh, Martin, we are going to end the podcast with trivia fact corner. And Martin, this week, can you tell me <laughs> who hates Siri more, regular people with an iPhone and stuff, or Apple employees? Well, since you're asking, it has to be Apple employees. <laughs> exactly. So. Um, the information just keeps killing it with with their reporting, and they they spoke to a couple of dozen people, ex Apple and involved with Apple, about their AI things, and it basically said one of the really good headlines about this was even Apple employees hate Siri and are skeptical of its future, which uh, you know is probably no real surprise. Like if you're at Apple and you're loving Siri, there's something wrong, I guess. Like even even if you drink the Kool Aid, um, Siri has limits. I think there's plenty of Apple people who drink enough Kool Aid to where. Like, any time you talk to somebody who is from Apple, like, they're genuinely unable to believe that everything Apple does is not instantly amazing to you. That's because you're only talking to the marketing people, and that's just what they have to do. I know, I know, but, like, I've talked to a bunch of marketing and PR people, and, of course, of course, all of them will tell you that whatever they do is the best, but, like, Apple people seem genuinely to believe in this. Like, they're, they're, like it's in, they're incapable of seeing a world where the things Apple does are not not the best and it's, it's, it's quite shocking yeah. yeah well I mean I guess once you're inside that system it starts to look pretty good because you can't imagine a world without it I don't know anyway yeah. um, okay so the details are basically about the apparent chaos inside the teams at Apple working on Siri and artificial intel- intelligence and I don't think any of it's too surprising on the top level like Siri isn't great and the way Apple works sort of doesn't help but a couple, just three points here. So the headset team for this mixed reality headset, which is coming out soon, uh, they hate Siri. <laughs> um, they got the Siri team to say to come to show them, like, because obviously you, you're going to wear this headset, and it might be really nice just to be like, okay, Siri, do this. You know, like, you know, change my display or whatever, so you don't have to tap or whatever while you got this headset on. Uh, and the way that it was put is that they were disappointed by its lack of help, uh, and were trying to find their own, like, trying to be like, okay, we have to maybe come up with our own solution. Which is oh, that is brutal. Of, like, imagine yeah. the headset team being like, "We're not going to use our default assistant. Totally, we're going to build a new assistant." <laughs> they talk about like Siri being built on this strange database that takes weeks to update for even basic stuff. Um, oh. Apple's top executives quote are wary of Siri making big gaffes in its responses, so they play it super safe, which is the Apple organizational sort of thing. Um, and the other thing is like just uh, people leaving. So a bunch of top top AI people have left. There's some names there. Um, and even with t- CEO like Tim Cook saying, asking them to stay, they've still left because they see better, better prospects elsewhere. Ironically, some of those were in Google with Bard and whatever, which, you know, okay, that, that's, that's got a long way to play out. But is Apple just fundamentally the wrong type of organization to mess about with AI or is it? And I guess we should be clear that winning AI isn't in Apple's mission statement anywhere. Right. But it might be rough if they keep working with AI and just keep doing it so poorly and have to leave someone else to be you know, the, the shiny uh, brand that, that does 
AI the best and they sort of have to rely on that, working with that, interchanging with that in, in Apple's ecosystem. Yeah, it's, I think it's too fundamental of a technology for the next decade or five to not at least have a competent enough horse in the race. So I don't think Apple can afford to not get in there and fight properly. But yeah, I think they have systemic disadvantages and them trying to be extremely safe is one of them. Yep. You can see this, like I somebody said this, I think it was actually on the Vergecast, they're, they're saying that Apple TV Plus, their service, the TV streaming service, is also so brand safe that a lot of times you, they just can't make interesting content this is- because anything that's interesting has some drama at the heart of it and it, it's all like borderline, not something that Apple would want to associate with their brand. Yep. And so you're you're limited in what you can do in a lot of spaces. And I think got a package. I think that might be one of them. Okay, one second. Okay. Okay, I'm back. Picked it up. Anything anything good? <laughs> I, I don't know. It's for Maya, so I don't even okay. know what's inside. Good curses. Um, well you're back just in time to, to finish up for the episode, uh, Martin. But um good before, timing. Before I read it out, uh are you going to bike the streets of Berlin um this afternoon? Weather's nice. I think so. I think so. It's uh, today is the day of critical mass. The last Friday of every month is uh, when a bunch of people get on their bikes and get into like a huge convoy and bike around. It's a kind of protest. So ideally, we'll go. Berlin has just elected a mayor that is like specifically and like pro car and anti bikes, which is making my blood boil a little bit. Like it's this was specifically there the thing that they ran on. Right. And this this guy won, so uh, gotta gotta protest more. Good gotta, stuff. Gonna win eventually. Um, and the good thing about the the Berlin bike protest is there's always several several dozen people who have speakers pumping techno as you ride. So well, it's fantastic. It's the best time of best time of the month. People <laughs> are like dressed up. They have like these cargo bikes with huge boom boxes. There's like th- there's a bunch of bikes that have like a whole DJ station on top and. <laughs> And uh, uh, just they have really, really funky bikes, like ones where the two wheels are not attached in a fixed manner, but the guy kind of swings up and down, and then this up and down swinging motion is what generates the, the <laughs> forward movement. Just like a whole lot of crazy stuff. It's really, really fun. Yeah, that sounds great. Um, uh, have I said on this podcast that I'm a cargo bike owner now? I'm not you're sure. proud, not on this podcast, but you're a yeah. proud avocargo owner. Yeah, so um, a, sadly, a, a cargo bike sharing system went bust. I guess in just in the people didn't want to burn cash anymore on on uh, on ideas, and so sadly, people these being investors, investors. So these people, so the the, the Avocargo people sold all their bikes, and um, a whole bunch of Berliners went and bought them. Um, so yeah, now we got like a, an e boosted cargo bike, which is great. Is it around it? Can you connect it to your phone? Does it have like any smart features or something or? So <laughs> this is this is an interesting topic because you could buy one without a smart lock or one with a smart lock. And we decided to go for one without the smart lock because you had to sort of pay to subscribe to the smart lock to get the best features. And you had two physical cards, which was a big talking point because you know you did have a physical access if you if you were in the middle of nowhere and you couldn't get you couldn't get reception for your app to unlock it, but. Then it's not very shareable. So anyway, and in the end, got bought it without the tech, and just have a dumb lock installed and a bunch probably of keys. for the best. Yeah, I, I, yeah, 
the subscription part of it really burned me. I didn't want to pay four dollars no. a month just to be able to unlock my bike and no, that's that's a no. Yeah. Um, but yeah, otherwise it's great. The battery's very movable, and yeah, uh, I'll. It's gonna be fun in summer. We'll we'll see how it goes. Carting beers around and whatever. Well, next Dogs. time we go on a critical mass, you should come and bring a bunch of beers in your cargo bike and bring a boombox, and we'll do our own party. Sounds good. That sounds great. <laughs> Uh, speaking of parties, that is a wrap for today. So, uh, Martin, thanks for your thoughts as always. Thanks to everyone for tuning in. Um, you can check Martin out at Tecata. New video next week? I think. Maybe even this week. We'll see. Ooh, okay. No worries. Uh, and the checkout, uh, sorry, the Friday checkout as well on YouTube. Um, and you're also on Mastodon and various other places. Um, I'm around the traps. I'm still moving. I think I'm, I'm aiming for a blue sky invite. So that's, that's my next goal for Ooh. social media. Okay. Uh, Exciting. Yeah, so um, Martin, tell us about Nebula and then we'll catch everyone next Friday. Yeah, this podcast is 100% supported by people on Nebula. So if you want to be one of those people, which you should be, you should want that. <laughs> At least we want that. Uh, then go to nebula.tv slash chillout. You can subscribe. I think it's uh, we have $20 off if you use our, our link. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, only $30 a year if you get a yearly subscription. Check it out. Uh, Thanks for your support, and we'll see you in the next show. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.